we need to innovate right now. And we're finding people having to pivot. And, and that innovation is coming out of that, that pivoting and that partnership or having that collaboration with folks they previously wouldn't have met or worked with in the past. Hello, and welcome to Zebra Talk. My name is Matt Mayer, and I'm your host. And today, I'm in conversation with the remarkable Liz Ngonzi. She's a member of the U.S. Speaker Program at the U.S. Department of State, an international public speaker, and frequently addresses audiences about digital innovation, philanthropy, and leadership. She previously served as the turnaround CEO of a large South African charity, one which was one of only four nonprofits worldwide that had President Nelson Mandela volunteer to be patron-in-chief. As founder of Liz Ngonzi Transforms, Liz is now an international speaker, educator, and executive coach, leveraging her long career and distinguished career to help nonprofit professionals increase their impact. And an interesting conversation with Liz, we talk about the future relationship between business, government, and nonprofits, what the world can learn from people that it traditionally labels as disadvantaged, and how corporations are responding to the social justice movement in relation to African Americans. I'm delighted to be joined today by Liz Ngonzi. Uh, Liz, welcome to Zebra Talk. So pleased you could make time to, to talk with us today. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. It's great. And it's, it's one of those moments where we delight in the technology because we're about three and a half thousand miles apart in uh, London and New York. Uh, and, and these things that didn't seem possible 12 months ago uh, we're now we're now cracking on and having a fan, hopefully a fantastic conversation, Liz. I, I, I'm I'm really I'm really pleased that we're able to talk today because you've you've had a a life a, a career so far which has been about um, creating impact through storytelling and helping um, a range of people from from uh, entrepreneurs uh, and, and nonprofits um, through 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 to people in in government and education have have an impact make make transformational changes where did all that start what have been the the, the biggest influences in your life and your career so far um so it, interesting that you should start with that question um so here's the thing the fact of my being a storyteller isn't that it, it actually makes sense because my father was a playwright. He's actually, he was Uganda's most famous playwright, uh, John Raganda. And, um, and my mother was a diplomat and then spent 30 years working for United Nations Development Program. And as a result of that, uh, we moved from the Uganda when I was four to New York, where I spent 13 years at the United Nations International School from kindergarten through, um, I, and for you, kindergarten, I do have kindergarten in the UK. Yeah, we have. I mean, we call <laughs> it by various things, but we have the concept. Yeah, absolutely. Right, primary and secondary school, nursery school. I guess. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at the school, I had friends, like my best friends were from Hong Kong, from Egypt, from Ethiopia, from Italy. And so, you know, it really enabled me to become a global citizen and to be very very comfortable meeting people from all over the world, really having a sense for the importance of valuing people's cultures and difference. Um, and, and, you know, and even just the fact that like I started learning French when I was six, you know, and I was in my lingual class, and I actually used to dream in French. <laughs> um, but just kind of getting that sense of the world and really seeing that the world is a lot bigger than, you know, a lot of people live in New York City, I actually live in Manhattan where I live, and they, and they refer to every place as other. Um, and so I'm not one of those people. I'm one of those people who's always felt like I want to travel, I want to see the world. I want to understand what the world has to offer, what I can offer to the world. Um, and so that was really, really important um, kind of grounding for me. And then, of course, being in an environment where a lot of my classmates, you know, their parents 
were at the UN, you know, our, our parents were at the UN arguing, right, or or debating um, around different topics. And so we got to hear what was going on in real time, you know, at the dinner table really made me really aware about, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, issues such as at the time when I was growing up, apartheid, um, you know, we had a lot of folks coming into our home who were actually, um, you know, part of the um, African the African National Congress, um, who, you know, were in exile at the time, but we got to hear what they were, what was going on in South Africa through their views. So it was really kind of an interesting time for me. Professionally speaking, I would say, you know, I've, I've worked in corporate America, I was a management consultant. I worked in in, in what was then tech marketing and and sales. Um, and I would say the greatest greatest um, experience I've had in terms or most influential experience I had was being a management consultant because I learned, you know, all my analytical skills. I learned how to present. I learned how to um, work with executives. Um, and I and I, I got to learn about a lot of different industries in a relatively short period, which really helped me when I subsequently started my own business and, you know, started creating partnerships with lots of different, um, you know, like different uh, sectors. Um, and so that was a really, really important thing. I, I always tell everybody, I think it makes sense like for you to start off your career in consulting because it gives you a really good sense for a lot of different companies, a lot of different sectors, a lot of business challenges that can be very good grounding for any career. It's interesting. You, you, you talk about the, your, your very early educational experiences and, and, and the community that you, that you grew up in. And it, it, it uh, that definitely resonates with me. I, I mean, I I grew up in a in a military family and and traveled traveled the world as as a uh, as a young child and and a young adult. And I think it's only later in my career that I've really recognised the the value of the sort of open mindedness, the the acceptance, the, the the willingness to embrace that that sort of grounding gives you. But you you use the phrase global citizen, and it just got me thinking that that's you know that that as a concept has has morphed over the years. And I think there's there is often a sense that to be a global citizen, you have to be globetrotting. And I think you know increasingly in our diverse communities, you have an opportunity in business, in your social community, in your home community, to be genuinely be a global citizen if that's if that's what you want to be. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's it's so amazing when you think about the last three months. I mean, I'm, I'm not obviously the pandemic has created tremendous amount of devastation, um, and and you know economically, health wise, and so on and so forth. But what is so amazing is to see how people are able to come together in ways that they never would have been in the past, right? Like, um, so here it is that you and I met through a you know I was. I was speaking on a, in a webinar. You reached out to me on LinkedIn, and we made that connection. And, and, and here we are having this conversation. That necessary wouldn't necessarily have happened prior to this. Not to say that you wouldn't have been online. I wouldn't have been online. But I just think that right now, because you know we're in, we're speaking to each other in our homes, right? So there's also that. Um, that wouldn't have happened in the past because it would have been like we'd have to go through like assistance, and it would be like this very formal process if we even found each other. And I feel like. What's happening is that people are, are are learning more. They're kind of putting themselves out there more online because they can't physically go anywhere. And so um, I think that you're going to find new relationships, new um, um, partnerships coming out of this that will create a lot of um, you know a lot of innovation, right? Because that's the other thing that's that's important is we need we need to innovate right now, and we're finding people having to pivot, and and that innovation is coming out of that that pivoting and that partnership or having that collaboration with folks they previously wouldn't have met or worked with in the past no and i think that that idea of how you build partnerships is an interesting one because you're right we, we probably would have connected because that's what people like you and i do but um certainly from my perspective i would have been looking for an opportunity to meet you in person and that might have put six nine months into the into the gestation of this conversation so you know suddenly your mind changes and you, you can do something different 
one of the things that I know you've you've done in 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 that varied career that you've outlined is is help nonprofits in particular build build partnerships, and I think partnerships is a great word. And I'm guessing that that nonprofits face particular challenges building partnerships with with business, um, and and I guess trying to secure funding being a core of core part of what those those partnerships are often, but perhaps not exclusively. It'd be really interesting, given that our listeners are predominantly in business, to get your your views on on that relationship between nonprofit and business, and and how best to foster those relationships, and whichever direction you're coming at them from. Sure. So. Um... You know, I, I, I remember because we met through a Cornell um, speaking engagement I had, um, I, they wrote the, the Cornell Alumni Magazine wrote a piece about me years ago. And they said that you know, the title was, you know, Liz and Gonzi helps nonprofits to think more entrepreneurially. Um, and and, you know, my I've always felt that nonprofits, you know, have always sort of been very inward looking <laughs> and have always sort of communicated amongst themselves. But they don't understand that if they're communicating with a business person, the priorities a business person has are very different from those, you know, that that that, you know, I as say an executive director of an organization have. And so, one, it's really understanding, like, who you're speaking to, understanding, um, you know, that that first of all, um, someone in business reads bullet points. They don't read, they're not going to read like three pages, five pages of text about your organization because they need you to get to it, right? Um, also understanding that, you know, you need to understand what a business is looking for. Like there, there has to be an alignment. So if you haven't actually done the research to understand, you know, whether or not you even qualify for funding from them um, or that, you know, that they're interested in, you know, specific areas or, or you know, or, or it, it communicate your story in such a way that it shows your alignment, then they're not going to listen to you. And so um, it's a really unfortunate thing that happens. And I see it all the time because I teach, I think I told, I, I met, well, you know this, I teach and I've been teaching for 10 years. I've been teaching nonprofit folks um, as well as those trying to get into the nonprofit sector, how to more effectively tell their stories and, and then also for their organizations. And, and one of the things I always say is nobody cares what you think about yourself. Like they want it. They want to know about, um, how what you do and the impact you make is going to help them to to meet their own objectives. Um, and so it's really important to understand that. The other thing is that, um, and the reason why that happens is a lot of people who work in nonprofits, and I'm talking about smaller nonprofits, obviously when you've got the big INGOs, I mean, they've got, you know, they've got the budgets and they have the sophistication to be able to do that kind of communication. But the smaller organizations typically are run by people who've always worked in the sector, right? So, so they're not, you know, they, they almost kind of see business as the enemy, to be quite frank. Um, and so, so they don't really have that understanding of what a business person is looking for, or the fact, like, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, your board composition. You need to have people in corporations. You need to have people working business on your board. One, because there's some corporations that won't give to you unless they, they only give to organizations where their employees work. I mean, a volunteer. Um, and also just having those business people that helps to give you the credibility to be able to speak to whomever. So for instance, when I, you know, when I was a US CEO of Africa Tikkun, you know, I brought on, you know, someone from Google, I brought on someone from Ernst & Young and folks like that, because I knew that if I was going to have specific conversations with business people or certain business people, I needed to be able to show, bring my board chair with me or bring one of my board members with me to have that conversation so that they're, they're there, there's a sense of like there's a peer involved in this conversation. And so it's really important that we think about that. Um, 
and then let's see what else. I think that's that's pretty much kind of you know what I think. But from the from the but from the corporation standpoint or from the businesses standpoint perspective, I think that that um, you know you know I know that and this kind of goes into what we're going to talk about with corporate social responsibility. I think that we're seeing with um, corporations looking to hire millennials. Millennials are driving um, corporations to be a lot more authentic in terms of how they do CSR, in terms of how they manage the relationship with employees. Um, and, you know, and, and millennials really want to make an impact. They're very impact driven, right, generation. And so um, I think that corporations that want to work with nonprofits probably want to bring those millennials into those conversations and help them to understand, you know, how to work with them, right? Because one of the biggest challenges of a nonprofit working with a, a um, any kind of funder is that the funder determines what it is that they want to fund. And so what you sometimes find is a nonprofit is in a situation where they, why they try to morph themselves to fit the mold of whatever that funding is going to be. And then all of a sudden they go from actually, you know, serving whatever the needs are on the ground to serving the needs of the funder that don't necessarily match with, with the reality of what's needed. Um, and so it's important to kind of really rethink that that relationship. And it's not, it's not easy because, uh, you know, he or she who has the funds is the, is the king or queen, right? So it's, it's, um, um, but I think that if, if, if we, if we really start to look at the social sector, the social impact sector as, um, a really necessary part of our societies, um, and it's even more so in countries where the government hasn't really, really stepped up or is not able to step up, um, and it gives the, the private sector an opportunity to not only do good, because it's not just about doing good, but it's also like, you know, it, it's also about like uh, creating future markets. You know, I mean, the more stable society is, the more um, wealth you create, the more you know, prospects you have for your, for your business. I mean, just being pragmatic. Um, and then, and then I think that with, um, going back to the millennials, I think as the millennials age through and they become leaders, I think that we're going to find companies that are a lot more, um, sort of socially driven or, or little, little bit more, uh, focus on the, on the impact that they make. Um, I think that just the folks like my generation, our generation or older, we're driven differently. We're just, you know, I mean, you remember, you remember the movie Wall Street came out during our period of time and greed was good, Gordon Gecko. That was what it was all about. I'm not saying money's bad. That's not what I'm saying at all, but it's just a different way that we, that the different generation that we're coming from. No, and I think, I think that's, that's an interesting prevailing theme and conversation that I'm hearing, which is, you know, not not seeing not seeing capitalism and, and whatever the the relevant opposite of capitalism is in this context as as conflicting, but actually thinking about what capitalism can can cure, what it what, what it can solve, and looking looking at it really positively. And I think you know the interesting thing, I was reflecting on what you were saying as you were talking there that there are there are so many parallels. Which whichever side of that conversation you sit on, essentially it's about anticipating what the other side needs rather than just thinking about what you need and listening. And we, and, and in business, we say that to our salespeople, you know, don't, don't focus on sales processes, focus on buying processes, because that's how you'll get bought. And, and equally, you know, don't, don't, don't focus on purely what, what you need out of a relationship, listen to what they need out of a relationship. And when you get that genuine 
um, active listening and human connection, you're more likely to get a positive partnership. And the beauty of it right now is that is that so many people, I think, uh, need different things from that relationship. The, the the dynamic between business and and nonprofit is, I think, is changing very changing very rapidly. You touched on CSR earlier, and I, I was keen to talk about that because I think there's um, I, I almost get this sense that as we move into a more authentic relationship between business and nonprofit. The concept of of CSR um, in so many organisations feel now feels you know re- when we reflect on it quite transactional. It's about projects and programmes and donations um, uh, r- rather than rather than all sort of authentic genuine partnerships. And you know my 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 hope is and the sense I get in the conversations I have is that 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 transactional nature will 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 become more more authentic you know from your experience from what you're seeing are 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 corporates getting that right around csr or is is there a lot of work to do there is is csr you know doing doing more harm than good in some ways oh well it depends on where csr sits in a corporation right so or any business uh so if csr is one of those things that's you know part of like hr like one of the what people think is like kind of not non-essential but it's not really kind of part of the bottom line or the pnl then they're then it's not going to necessarily be as prioritized as much um if it's a sort of vanity project of the ceo then it's sort of like okay it's good and they'll do stuff but again you won't really get um you won't really get the the full benefit of it. I think that if you have it either as a freestanding unit um, that has direct line into the, that sort of sort of that the corporate, um, I'm sorry, the the C level suite, um, and it's actually embedded in everything that the organization or the company does, then I think that then all of a sudden you start to see um, some traction um, and you get to see a difference. But if it's just something that's 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 um, you know, that's put up on the side and that's not really part of, you know, the, the business and what it does and it's fundamentally aligned with it, then you're never, never going to see anything other than like, we just got to tick off a box on all these things. So you'll have a lot of, you know, a lot of companies that I, you know, um, I've, I've seen and uh, I've been involved in a lot of CSR forums. Um, they tend to sort of do check, check off the box, right? So tick off the box type of thing. So they'll be like, all right, we've got to do, everyone's got to do environmental stuff, right? Because that, like, actually that's not really serving anybody. That's not, and I'm not saying environmental issues are not important, but just saying that you're going to, you know, you're going to waste water, you're going to save water and, 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 and things like that, that actually saves you money. So you're not actually doing anything great. And, and a lot of companies start there, right? But it's like the ones that really understand and the communities that they're serving, they understand the environments which they're operating and the impact that they make, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, um, that that that's amazing. So for instance, I'll give you an example. I was on a, I watched a webinar about, a, about sometime last year and it was three major corporations talking about their CSR initiatives and one of which was a retailer. And they're talking about how, you know, in the past they used to make sure that like, you know, sort of the, if, let's say they're manufacturing in, in you know, call it you know, Bangladesh or something like that, they made sure that whatever the the, the company that they're working with um, didn't have any sort of child labor and they hadn't violated env- environmental issues. But the reality is that company then subs to other companies. So they said that they're going all the way down to all the subs, all the way down to make sure that, that there are no violations because um, then you know actually you're doing things, you know, more properly and so on and so forth. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they were willing to take that time to make sure that there's nothing within their chain um, that is violating whatever the standards that they, that they, you know, hold, and they're even willing to sign to it. Right. And so, so I think that that is an example of, 
I think that's a good example. Uh, do they have to do so? Not necessarily, but guess what? They're millennial um, customers, millennial employees. You're probably like, I don't want to do business with you because if you're if you're not going to demonstrate to that, because you know, in the past we would just buy something because we like the label, right? Or they were really good good brand or whatever the quality. But now people want to know like, how is that product made? How is you know, what's involved in that? Is there a give back? Is there, you know, anything like that? You know, you've got the Tom shoes model, you've got all that. And so I think people like to feel that they're part of making a difference, even in their purchase versus just, you know, when they're actually you know, like making a donation or volunteering, but even in just the way that they're, they're consuming um, that, that they feel good about that. Which I guess brings you right back to storytelling because that the you know, accurate storytelling or inspiring storytelling, probably the right phrase, um, can really, can really be a compelling way to, to get support for a movement, to sell a product, whatever it may be. Exactly. Um, I agree with you. I mean, one example that um, I, that comes to mind is Nike. Um, Nike, you know, and, and of course there are a lot of people who were turned off by this, but, you know, Nike took a stand and said, we're going, we're backing Colin Kaepernick with this whole, you know, we're taking a knee movement. Um, and then they subsequently um, introduced new products. Um, and, and there are folks, I remember watching it on, 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 on social media, folks were saying, I'm never going to, buy another Nike product. Some people actually burnt their, they, they set their Nikes on fire. And I think someone set themselves on fire by doing so, but whatever. Um, and, but they said that this is what we're about. And I think what it is, is they understand their consumer. They understand that their consumer would be aligned with something like that. And in fact, their stock went up and then their sales went up. I mean, sales and stock went up ridiculously as a result of taking that stand and creating a whole campaign around that. You know, now, now one would say, wow, that's really, that's, that's very risky, but if you understand who you're trying to work with, if you understand who your customer is, then you know that if you that you want it, you want to align with them. And so I thought that was a really good example uh, with everything that's going on, you know, that's been going on over the last two three weeks with the social justice movements in the U.S. and, and actually, frankly, they're global now, right? It's you know, so there's Black Lives Matter everywhere. You're seeing that corporations are, you know, at the very beginning were sort of sending out these messages about like, yeah, Black Lives Matter and we stand with it. It was sort of like these empty platitudes. But then you're starting to see companies really stepping up and saying, you know, we understand it's not just about like the movement isn't really just about like, you know, we want to say that Black Lives Matter, but it's also recognizing that um, there's been um, economic injustice. Um, there are so many issues that have, that have happened that have held back those communities. And so there are companies that are stepping up and saying like, look, we're, you know, we want to invest in, 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 in black nonprofits, we want to invest in I'm sorry, black businesses. We want to make sure that organizations that are serving those communities are actually well funded, um, and so they're they're putting their money, you know, they're so now they're putting their money against this. So like for instance, I think it was, um, Cid, no, not City, which uh, financial services firm? I'm trying to think of the firm. It was uh, one of the big ones, uh, maybe Chase. I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry, but 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 all all the financial services firms did come up. But like you know, Google I think set up like a 500 million dollar fund to invest in in uh, black businesses. Um, and and if you think about it, that's a really it's a it's a smart move because ultimately those can become their you know it, on many different levels. But but it's definitely saying like we stand with this. Like this is important to us, right? Another company. Um, Wachovia decided that all of their executives' um, compensation and goals are going to be tied to how they support equity. Um, and so those are like real 
significant moves, right? That that's that that go from empty platitudes to no, we our business, we understand the importance of this to our to our business and the communities that we serve and that we care about. Yeah, it's fascinating, and it's it's good to be able to to talk about that issue with two from two perspectives really that are three and a half thousand miles apart. Because you know we we. You know, we you know sit, sit in the UK. I mean, cl- clearly, the social justice movement, Black Lives Matter, was a was a hugely significant event. Um, but you're absolutely right. What what happens? What happens beyond that? And you know, seeing seeing it, not just from conversation with yourself, but talking to to clients and other and other lawyers in the US, and you're know, already facing the same the same experience, which is that the the, the corporate response, however well intentioned, didn't feel particularly uh, authentic or long term. Um, and I and I think what's 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 surprised me in a, in a really positive way is actually the small chain reaction of initiatives that it has kicked off. So even those um, your phrase empty platitudes they've, they've they've kicked off some some really interesting activity. And even in our own business, you know, one of my um, young black lawyers came came forward and 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 asked if she could tell her story of what it was like growing up as a as a young black woman in in the UK, um, and it's fair to say i think that that, that story which was uh, we we published to the whole firm which was seven or eight pages long w- was compelling i mean it was it, it there's nothing that we could have done as a as a leadership team there's nothing we could have got in terms of external advice or consultants that would ever have touched the impact that that very personal story had but without the i guess the 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 awareness to be able to give a platform for that and the genuine empathy towards that story which the broader movement had created you know perhaps wouldn't have had so much impact but i, I think those little those little chain reactions are creating something very permanent in our in our business communities oh, oh absolutely i mean i mean no doubt i mean please don't i mean i absolutely i mean here's the thing these are businesses like financial services firms only move when there's money to be made. Right. But for them to even step up and say, look, look, we're, we're, we're looking at this. This is important. That's it. That speaks volumes. Right. And the fact that you, you've got CEOs, I remember Goldman Sachs uh, CEO, um, uh, DJ Saul, you know, he's a DJ CEO. Yeah. So he made a a statement that I read. uh, And, and I'm like, well, if you think about it, Six months ago, year one year ago, one you know a year and a half was it two years ago when when Colin Kaepernick was taking that knee, nobody <laughs> wanted to be associated with that. No way. That in fact they were completely against it. When when Black Lives Matter started as a movement, it was like this fringe movement of like these really radical people. You know that was the thought the thought around this. And then here it is now. You've got everybody saying that they're with it. So there there definitely has been a shift. Um, and I think that the shift is going to. Um, continue in many different ways. And so I think it is positive. Um, and the fact that, like you said, how, giving, letting people authentically speak about their experiences and whatever it may be, you know, so in, your, in, in being your firm or whatever company, I think is, is also important in, in hearing from folks, because like you said, yeah, the consulting firms, can t- the, the ad agencies can tell you whatever they want to tell you. And frankly, they don't necessarily even have representation that would reflect the stories that you want to be told in, in that way, in a genuine way. Um, but it definitely does give, giving employees the opportunity to speak about their experiences, to t- speak about what's going on with them, I think is really, really important because I can't even imagine um, this young lawyer that you're talking about. I don't Have you ever even communicated before? I'm not saying that you're not there, but you've run a huge firm. So, so even just having the opportunity to hear, to, to connect with you and to be able to be sort of 
a voice for this for for the the firm's response during this time. That's really empowering for that young person. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and it's it's and it's invigorating for everybody. I think that's that's the thing. I mean, you, you're right. There may have there may have been a reluctance to reach out uh, before, but actually, you know, everything that was going on made that the most natural thing to do in the world. And I guess, like many leadership teams, and whether that's the issue or whether it's a business issue, um, being being open to business leadership teams are, are very open to ideas and, and, and stories and, and to listening. And, and I think, um, you know, often, often welcome that more than the people who've got the stories <laughs> anticipate. So yeah, again, we come back to storytelling, but I, I, I'm interested in, in the sort of concept that, you know, we all, we always think of disadvantaged communities as nonprofits, as developing countries, as recipients of, um, of aid and support and um, you know in a fairly patriarchal way but actually I think you know one of the things that the recent experiences particularly in the pandemic have shown us is that actually you know those those disadvantaged communities those, those countries that are struggling have actually got a lot to teach us um, they've been through experiences that, that that more developed parts of the world more advantaged um, communities haven't been through and how, how do you see as getting to a point where there's a there's a platform for us to to take that experience, be more open to that experience, and and see that as positive and valuable. Well, um, I think it's a great question, and I and I and I feel like now the fact that we're all most of us are online. I mean, and when I say most of us, obviously, I'm speaking from a you know from least privilege because you know the majority of the world is not online. But I'm just saying those who are um, in, in, in a position to be able to do so um, have the ability to connect with people in different ways and to be part of conversations that they wouldn't have been able to be part of in the past, which means you're also giving voice to, um, say, the blogger in you know Nigeria who could talk about how they're dealing with XYZ. Or I think I was sharing with you, like um, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, the former president of Liberia, wrote a piece about, um, about how you know, during her tenure as president, she had to deal with Ebola, right? I mean, if you've dealt with Ebola, you know, COVID-19 is like a joke, not, you know, it's, it's not, it's certainly not the same kind of thing. And so um, the fact that I think she wrote, I think that piece was in a, in a British uh, publication, the fact that you could hear from a, a, a woman who was a head of state who successfully dealt with something that's deadly. I mean, it's just like hundred percent deadly. Um, or uh, the fact that she was able to be given a platform to speak about it was really, really important. But I also think that, you know, I really love um, social media because you also get to hear from the voices of people you wouldn't have in the past, right? So like you might have a lone blogger somewhere talking about something, but all of a sudden, because someone else has picked up and there's enough momentum, now all of a sudden something comes to light that you wouldn't have heard about. But 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 going back to the 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 you know communities that are disadvantaged or the countries that are disadvantaged, what we found right now is none of us here in any 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 of the developed countries knew how to deal with you know a pandemic. We we never in our lifetime had to deal with anything like this, right? Um, and and so I mean so you find we found us having to kind of look at you know what are folks doing uh, in other countries? Like for instance, you know I've been going to South Africa for for years because I, I worked for an organization in South Africa. And when you get to the airport and you're you're about to go into passport control, they scan you. They make sure that you know you're you're they, they they're checking your temperature. You go to Uganda, that's the same thing because they're trying they 
they understand that they already understood that you needed to look out for this kind of thing. You go to JFK or go anywhere here, all they're worried about is that you take your shoes off. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're not I'm saying it's so it's a different kind of um, orientation. And so I think that now we're able to see that, you know, for instance, the president of Uganda shut everything down immediately when all this hit because he was like, no, we can't have people in and out. And Uganda has very porous borders, but they shut everything down so that they could contain it. Um, whereas it took other countries a long time to kind of figure that out. But if you've had to, again, deal with Ebola, you've had to deal with something like that, then that, you know, you absolutely are prepared for that. So I think that um, social media gives an gives the, us the ability to hear for the voices um, that we previously weren't able to hear. When you're desperate, you have to go wherever the information is. So that's the other thing that this has created, is that desperation enough to say, hey, who are the people who've actually dealt with this? Um, who are the people who, um, you know, who, who, are, who are kind of um, familiar with all this? The other thing that, you know, I've also noticed, and I, I was telling you that, you know, we, during this period of time, we have continued to go to stores and stuff, the supermarket. And I hate that I have to keep signing. Like I have to feel the, you know, touch of the stylus and, you know, and I, and I sanitize, but I'm like in Kenya, they, 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 they have mobile money. I mean, mobile is just, you know, mobile money and PESA is just standard for them, right? It's not like one of these things where, you know, for us, whereas, you know, credit cards are the, the sort of the norm. Um, I don't even know, I've known, I don't even know the last time I touched real money, but in a country like Kenya, you know, just out of necessity, they, they developed this M-PESA platform, um, which provided folks who in the past um, really were not able to participate in, you know, sort of credit, they were not credit worthy, are able to now transact. And so literally, if I'm taking a taxi, I just need to know my taxi driver's mobile number, and then I can just message them the money. And I'm thinking right now, as as we're coming, we're now starting to open up again, no one really wants to touch, they don't want to touch things. So I was looking at my local Starbucks, and now they say, if you want to transact with us, it's got to be all mobile. Um, you've got to you've got to use our app. You've got to pay through the app because we're not we're not doing things in every any other kind of way. And so I think that we're probably going to learn a little bit more about how um, Kenya, which is the number one mobile money co country in the world, how they've been able to incorporate into society more effectively. Because I got to tell you, you don't want people touching the stylus. You don't want them having to put type in their their into the keypad and all that because that's a really easy way to transact transmit all of this. So um I'm excited to see what comes out. Yeah, and I think you know thinking about that that triangle of partnerships between nonprofits, business and and government, we need to be much more open minded about where we think we find our innovation. And and in you know in a world where necessity is the mother of invention, you know, that there, there there are challenges in each of those three communities, which I think when when brought together could be really quite powerful. I know I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm very I've always believed in uh, public private partnerships. And I feel that, you know, I mean, some countries where the governments don't really have they're they're not really able to address the challenges of the social sector, the private sector is able to step in. But if you even look at COVID-19, how are we going to solve this? It's not, it's not just the scientists. It's not just the, you know, it's, it's, it's we all have to come together. It's got to be government. It's got to be, um, um, it's got to be the nonprofits. And, and it's also got to be the, the private sector working together, not only to find the vaccine, but also to come up with the different things that are going to keep us safe. Um, and, you know, for instance, let's think about like all the companies that started making hand sanitizer. I think it was like, I think there were alcohol companies I think that were making hand sanitizer when we had a shortage, right? And they just stepped in where 
you know, where that's a, that was kind of like a social need that would have, you know, maybe been covered by government. It might have been covered by um, a nonprofit in the past, but, but business stepped up and said, no, we, we have the ability to manufacture this quickly and we all need to be in this together. Think about all the companies that started manufacturing masks and or, or coming together to kind of find new how to sort of retool whatever they've got to be able to help out during this crisis. So I think it's it's exciting to see. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of this because I mean, tremendous amount of innovation that isn't even really related to necessarily COVID-19, but it comes as a result of us having to think about how to protect ourselves, right? How to make sure that, that we don't transmit um, viruses and stuff easily. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what comes out. Um, and, I, and I know if we're going to start wearing bubble, bubble outfits. <laughs> It's it's fascinating, and and and, and there's there's been you know, even in even in the small narrow world of, of of my own businesses, client community, just hearing the stories of how businesses have have pivoted, not and not you know not all out of um you know out of humane need, but actually because there's some great business models out there right now. But how how quickly businesses have have adapted is is fascinating. And I, you know, one of the things I I wanted to ask you about was on the theme of storytelling is is many of our listeners will will be in, within corporates they they'll be leaders within businesses um at different levels and and they will have great and interesting and authentic stories to tell and um i, I wondered what your thoughts were on what you know what they could what they could learn from nonprofits i guess about telling authentic purposeful stories into the into the markets that they need to to release those stories into you know, I think I think one of the things that that's interesting is, uh, in you know, in a corporate environment, we're we're all sort of told, or at least the time when I worked in corporate, you were told to be like corporate. You have to be businesslike, right? And so that means you remove your soul from a situation. But you know, at the end of the day, people do business with people, right? And that's really what it is, and it is about human connection. And I think that what you learn from a nonprofit organization, what they do have, is really very mission. They're mission driven, right? And so that does come th- across through what they do, um, and. Even if it's not, you know, very well crafted and or and so on and so forth and slick, but you do get that sense of that, um, like the authenticity through the communication that they that they do put out there. And I think that if if corporations or corporate leaders who want to be able to tell um, their story, they need to think about like they're communicating with people and they're people representing a corporation communicating with people. And I think understanding that and being able to bring that out, like the soul of the company, the soul of the people who are there. I think that's really what matters uh, because like I said, you know, especially if we're talking about millennials, they want to know who they're dealing with. They want to know who's behind that, right? Like, I mean, when you go to a website about any corporation, where do you first go? Go look at the people. You want to see who's involved. But I think that if we can figure out a way in such a, to remove all of those sort of, I don't mean, I don't say you do need to have a sense of, of kind of like formality to, you know, certain, I mean, I think, I don't think I'd want to go to law firm that's like completely like, you know, zany, but, but I think that um, if, if let's say like you, I mean, I, I, I'm what I was thinking about you. Um, I'm like, this is a guy who runs a large, uh, you know, international law firm. And then this is something he likes to do. You know, this is part of, this is really important for him to have these conversations to build this into his, into his firm. And I'm like, he's so busy, but he's doing this, like knowing about you, like telling the story about you and how you think and what, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you grew up in military family, you traveled around the world and it's made you open like that to me would, would differentiate you from another firm that maybe has similar off offerings. Right. So getting, getting to know who those people are and understanding their why 
Great, we'll put that on the website. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's your because your, I'm always curious. I mean, when you're online, you have so many options, right? So I can go to company A, company B, whatever. But but I'm looking at the people behind it, and I want to understand why they do what they do, what they're all about, um, and why this matters. Like that's what I'm looking for, and I and I don't think I'm that similar that the other folks don't think this way. Um, and I, and I, and I, in the same way that with a nonprofit, like for you trying to decide if you want to support a nonprofit, there are tons of, let's, let's say your thing is you want to support, you know, an organization that addresses cancer. Well, there are a lot of organizations that you can find out there to do that. So you've got to figure out the one, you know, that, that has the people that you feel are, are kind of most resonate with you or they're solving in a certain way or they're doing things in a way that really resonates with who you are. And so similarly with a corporation, um, you know, to differentiate yourself, again, lots of options out there. You really kind of need to know like what's so special about your, like I'll tell you, Goldman Sachs, the fact that, you know, Goldman Sachs is very buttoned down firm, right? But the fact that 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 their, their um, CEO is DJ Salt, like like to me, that's very different from when Lloyd Blankwein was the CEO, right? He's a very, very different type of person. But like that makes him interesting. And it makes it interesting for me. I mean, it, it just, it's just a, a thing. And I think that the more we can come out and show our humanity to show who we are and what we're about as you know, leaders um, of a corporation, I really think that that goes a long way. And I think that, again, with the millennials, they want to know that. Um, I also think that we just have got we're going through this pandemic together as, as people. Right. And so I think we've come even closer. I mean, here you're in your apartment. You're, you're in your house. I'm in my apartment. In the past, we would never have ever seen each other's, you know, home environment. We would have met in a restaurant or something or a studio. Um, and so you're starting to kind of see people in the environments that they're in. Um, and so you're, there's a connection that's happening that you wouldn't have had in the past. So it is even more important for us to really kind of um, share our humanity. I mean, you're hearing about your, your prime minister had COVID-19, right? So it's not like COVID-19 is just like for some people. Like everybody's affected by this. And so it's our shared... Our, our sense of that we're we're all human. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, we're all vulnerable, um, and that we actually work to need to work together to 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 make sure that COVID nineteen doesn't spread any further. And, that, that, and 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 so I think we're starting to get a sense of how interconnected we are. It's not you know that in the past I think we were all about like I'm out for myself, I want my thing, da da da. But it's like in a way this COVID nineteen pandemic has forced us to recognize that we actually do need to work together. And I mean, not just together in your neighborhood, but we're together in the world, right? Because if you think about where, how fast it spread from where it, started, it was in Wuhan and all of a sudden it was like in New York, it was like spread like wildfire. And of course, Europe, like it's because we're traveling, we're connected. So the fact that our, our world is global in that sense, we also need to understand that we have to work together to be able to address the challenges we have, which also means that we can work together to make things better. It may sound like very, very fairy, but that's what I believe. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. I mean, I think we've—I've often felt professionalism, in the broadest sense, is double-edged sword because it—it it gets you in the door, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's got the potential to be cold, and and actually, it's empathy that gets things done. That's 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 if that that's what I'll have on my tombstone. Empathy yeah. gets things done, and, and <laughs> we that. we had uh, we had we have an internal uh phrase value that we that we use which is which is be yourself with skill and i think that's that's never been more relevant to um to where we are today it's no you're you're absolutely right about that and i and i i think that like again we were taught i mean we were taught to be this button down you know just bring the the professional person but you're you're bringing your your, your whole self should come to whatever interaction and at the end of the day like i said people do business with people 
you know, when there people do, when when your clients come to you, there there's something about the people who are part of your firm that resonate with them, right? It's not just because the it, it, the skills are important. I'm not saying the skills are not important. The track record is important, but ultimately it comes down to the personalities. It comes down to that feeling of, can I connect with these people? Are they going to look out for me? Do I trust them? You know, um, and, 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 and the like. So I think if we can remember that and that we're human beings, I think that will help us go a long way. We'll make great progress. No, that's, that's, re- that's really, really sound advice. Liz, if people want to learn a little bit more about what, what you do in, in, in your business, Liz Ngozi Transforms, how, how can they do that? How, what, what sort of things um, are, you, are you involved in and, and, and how can they learn more? Sure. So um, I, you know, uh, I, I forgot, I didn't actually introduce myself because uh, I just got excited about talking to you, but I think, because I, I think that's important, right? Because you get to know me through that. Um, so I, so you can go to lizengonzi.com to, to, to visit my website. And, and so I'm an international speaker, um, educator, uh, coach, and nonprofit consultant. And so I work with everybody who I work with, whether it's my students or my clients, it's really helping them to get very clear about their story, uh, which requires you to basically, I'm using the same tools I learned when I worked in consulting. So you've got to do personal SWOT analysis. You've got to come up with the smart goals and, and, and so on and so forth. But it's really becoming very clear about what uniquely you bring into this world. So whether it's an organization or it's, um, um, you know, a a, um, a person, um, and really, frankly, even I, I teach I teach an eCornell's program, um, the Bank of America Women's Entrepreneurship Program, and so I work with a lot of women who are at different stages of starting their businesses, and so kind of helping them think to get clarity around, you know, what's important to them. Because you know, in the past, like I remember when I was looking for jobs, I was looking for the brand names, right? I mean, I think early in your career, that's what you do. You need the brand names, the money. I mean, that's kind of what it is. But as you get older, and I think even for people who are, you know, from this generation and, and millennials, um, they're able to find their purpose earlier. Um, I think as they can be more themselves, they can be more authentic, and they kind of, somehow, I, 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 somehow they, have the, they have the permission to do so. And I think it's really important that as, you know, as we, as we, as we go through life, we need to really be clear about what it is we uniquely bring into the world, we, what we're most qualified to do, but also what really brings us joy. Because the thing that really, really brings you joy um, and that, you know, obviously pays you a paycheck um, is really, it, it will enable you to bring the, the best into this world. And like, you know, I think it would be really a shame for you to use the time that you have here, whatever number of years you have on this earth and not be able to bring the best into it. Um, and I don't, you know, and, and obviously that this again comes from a place of privilege, right? Because there's some people who just have to have a job and it's it. But, you know, you can also find your purpose in what you do as a volunteer. Right. Or even even and even how you look at the what what you do. Like, so, for instance, like, I, you know, I, I'm I was watching a video clip, I think, on Instagram or something. And and it was a bus driver with a little girl. There's a little girl standing in sort of the, the um, entryway of the bus and they were dancing to each other together some some song. And so in my mind, I was thinking that bus driver doesn't see himself as just someone who's driving a vehicle. He also understands that he's somebody who can you know, who's bringing joy to people who's part of someone's day. Right. And he has the ability to bring joy so it's also understand understanding that i think it's important that you kind of see that and also if, let's say if you're in a job where you're not able to express that part of you you can volunteer you know through your, your volunteer work and, or your hobbies that's where you can express that part of you but really getting clear about you know what is really really um what you are uniquely suited to do um, it's not an easy process because you really have to go through go deep and you have to um question some of your assumptions and you have to get clear about, you know, some of your failures, 
um, and things. But but so that's you know part of what I do for organizations, and, and it's you know and this is always for people who are in transition, right? You know where everyone's in transition, and also for organizations that are in transition, helping them to understand like how they can more effectively communicate with their different stakeholders, whether it's the funders or um, um, or it's or it's even like. Um, other partners and really getting clear about how that works. Um, and on the flip side for funders, so foundations and the like, you know, in the past, foundations have really thought of themselves or they've been set up in such a way that there's a pyrodynamic where they say, you do this this way and, you know, and, and we'll give you the money. But what, what I help them to get clear about is that, you know, if you actually do this, if you sort of rethink this relationship, you, you then you'll get that the, the nonprofit you're funding is actually helping you with your mission, right? You have a mission, you have something that you're trying to, 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 to achieve. And the nonprofit is actually your expression of that mission. They're the ones helping you. They're your partner. So that relationship has to be one of respect and a collaboration rather than one of, I'm giving you this money, you do what I want to do. And I'm just going to fund what I want. It doesn't, you're not going to get really that far. And also understanding that, a lot of foundations, even typically, I don't know if you know this, only about 10% of foundations have websites. Um, that's also because some of them are very, very small family foundations, but also there's just, they've always wanted to kind of have this air of mystery and, you know, we'll come to you, don't come to us. But I always say, if you don't make yourself if you don't make yourself visible, one, you're not helping your grantee partners who can get, by being listed on your website, helps them to attract other funding. Se secondly, you don't know which other foundation you could partner with to even be able to scale your impact. And so it's really about being more open and collaborative and kind of helping folks to get the 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 benefit of doing so. Because again, it's it's not only the nonprofit that's mission driven, the funder is mission driven. And you know, whatever that funder may be, um, they need to also understand that 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 they're benefiting from that relationship. Liz, one of the things I'm I'm increasingly hearing from from the people that I'm networking with and talking to is how important it is to marshal scarce resources, time, effort, enthusiasm into something that has impact. And, I, and I've seen that you've recently founded the International Social Impact uh, Institute at Hunter College, which I think is part of New York City University. I, mean, I probably don't need to ask you this question, given everything else we've talked about, but what inspired you to do that? And where did the enthusiasm for that come from? Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, this is a really exciting uh, initiative I've been working on for the last year. And, you know, and, and you know, if you think about it, these are exceptionally difficult times for the social sector. COVID-19 pandemic has devastated entire economies and funding for social welfare organizations become scarce just at the same time as the, the need for uh, their services that they provide has increased. Um, but while the sector and communities that, they ser that it serves face tremendous challenges, events of recent months have also created an environment ripe for innovation. The current challenges highlight the need for nimble, focused, creative, and well-networked changemakers to help guide the sector and the larger society forward. So I founded the Institute uh, to facilitate interactions among such changemakers and to assist in the training of more of them. And so we're, you know, we seek to further um, enhance the access of nonprofit organizations and social enterprises to the kind of resources, knowledge, and networks that will enable them to rebound from the setbacks that they've experienced, which, are, as you know, are just tremendous. Um, and the Institute also aims to inspire, connect, activate, and transform students and professionals who are interested in social sector uh, careers in New York City and beyond. So really introducing this to them. It's interesting that you use that phrase change makers and I guess I guess change makers is a is a phrase that can encompass you know these college students coming through right through to people that are running 
you know, international foundations and organizations that are, that are having social impact. Is that, is that the target market? What are you trying to accomplish in terms of impact through the, through those people? Yes, it is, it is, it is, it is, it's everyone and not everyone. Right. I mean, the thing is, I think most people believe that um, the change makers are people who work in nonprofits. Right. And that's just one part of it. But as you and I both know, and obviously based on the, what you're doing right now, we understand the fact that you can create change anywhere you are, right? So my thinking is that, you know, you can create change if, if you're working in a corporation, um, as, a, as a funder, as a volunteer, as, you know, as a student, um, and, and, you know, as a social entrepreneur. So our whole thing is, our thinking is that we want to make sure that we provide, you know, for young people, we're starting with young people, you know, so college and high school students to help them understand, you know, how to really become clear about what's important to them. What are their values? What is, you know, what's their vision for the future? And then connect them to some people who um, are currently working in the sector who are leaders and can inspire them to think about maybe starting their own organizations or even working for their organizations or even figuring out what sort of volunteer activities they can get involved in while they're students or internships they can, um, you know, sort of pursue to get them on that sort of social impact sort of oriented path, you know? Let me talk a little bit about what the Institute draws on, and then you can understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish. So it's, you know, it's drawing on my experience as a New York-based international social sector and um, leader and educator and speaker and coach. Um, enabling current and future social impact leaders and organizations, as well as social entrepreneurs, to effectively develop and tell their stories. Uh, and that's so that they can incre incre increase their impact and reach their potential. And in my work with the Institute, I'm going to draw my 20 plus years of experience, my gift for fostering connections among individuals and organizations, and on my passion for helping individuals and organizations to thrive. And of course, my recognition that if we're to going to address the world's most pressing problems, which as you know, accelerated due to the pandemic, we're gonna to have to work collaboratively across sectors, geographies, and of course, bring in new voices that previously were left out of the development of solutions. Uh, specifically, what we're looking to do is offer courses, forums, trainings, and consulting services designed to support the development of pipeline of future leaders for the sector, foster the development of social sector employees, and promote connections among nonprofits, social enterprises, foundations, corporate social responsibility offices, impact investors, venture philanthropists, and of course, academic and sector-based experts. Um, so what we're doing is we're launching with courses that are geared towards pre-college students seeking an introduction to the kinds of career opportunities that can be found in the social sector. Shortly thereafter, in the fall, uh, the Institute will hold an international social impact conference, which I hope you'll join us <laughs> uh, to be part of. That's going to be addressing issues such as equity and inclusion, which is topical, but what we, you and I were talking about, uh, new revenue models um, and collaborations, and how to leverage digital innovation to advance the social sector post-pandemic. And additionally, we currently have two international initiatives underway, one with the university in South Africa, for which we're developing a branding and fundraising training program for its leadership, as well as for another university in Colombia, in Bogota, for which we're developing a fundraising and marketing course for nonprofit employees and mid-career changers to be offered you know, for the country. Well, we'll definitely be uh, definitely keen to be involved in the conference and um, I hope to be able to share 
that opportunity with with everyone involved in the in the zebra project and it's in, it's interesting that you you talk about making connections because i think you know it's underestimated how simple but impactful that can be and and everyone who holds this agenda dear and wants to have impact i think is an opportunity to make make valuable connections so that's that's great to hear Liz, you're, you're a storyteller and, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, what plans you have underway for, for the Institute and what you envisage the future looking like. What's, what's the story you hope to be telling in two, five, ten years time? Um, the part of the story is that the, the sector was able to rebound, right. And that we helped to facilitate, we helped to contribute to that, right. I mean, I'm not going to be so presumptuous as to say that we made it happen, but that we're contributing to that. That's one. Two, that you know, because we are facilitating these connections and because we are really looking to make sure that new voices are brought to the table, that we actually see some innovation happen, right? And also that we're helping them, the sector um, organizations and, and, and folks to recognize the importance of integrating digital into the way that they, you know, the way that they operate, the way that they deliver their services, and uh, frankly, how they generate revenue. And so, you know, the fact that we would be able to say, you know, we contributed to that is really, really important because I think that, as I mentioned earlier, it really doesn't make sense for us to continue to do things the way we're doing them because that hasn't worked. And especially given that we're in a new world, you know, the world post pandemic is almost sort of, it's kind of hard to imagine. I think that we sort of need to see what we're currently going through as the new normal, right? Um, and so, virtual exchanges are going to be happening. People are going to be have an opportunity to collaborate across sectors, across the world, in the same way that you and I are here having this conversation. We never would have met had it not been for a virtual forum that we were, you know, that they I part you and I participated in. And so I think being able to um, demonstrate that we helped to create more connection, to be able to advance innovation, as well as to bring new people into um, the sector and help those who are currently working in the sector to be much more effective and efficient is what I, you know, what I envision for us. That's no, really exciting, and and I think you know as we as we've said previously, it's it's great that out of such a difficult time, we've managed to accelerate some really positive things, and it sounds like. Um, and the institute's certainly going to take advantage of that, and the the innovation is a real opportunity to to have greater impact more more quickly. So I guess I guess the question I have, you know, thinking about our audience is individuals, it's businesses, um, multi generational audience. You know, who who should get involved, and how how can they get involved with with your work? Well, I think that your your audience is perfect. I think anybody who's going to be you know listening to your podcast um, obviously is very much tuned into this sort of thinking. Um, and so we're looking for people who you know speakers. We're looking for um, supporters. Obviously, we're you know when you put together a conference, you need you know some kind of support for that. Um, we're also looking for students. You know, and students are you know we like I said we we're we're going to be teaching students who are traditional students, high school as well as university, but professional development is really, really important. So, you know, professionals as well, whether it's people who are currently working in the sector or folks who are trying to come into it, um, that's what we're, we're looking for. And then, of course, helping any companies that are really thinking about how to integrate, you know, um, this sort of impact thinking into what they do is also something we're looking for. Fantastic. Well, we'll we'll definitely do our best to um, spread the story far and wide, and uh, make sure that everyone involved in the Zebra Project knows knows what you're up to and can support and get involved if if they'd like to. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and you know, certainly, uh, this has just been a great opportunity to be part of you know 
Zebra Talk. I call it Zebra, but Zebra Talk, (laughs) Uh, which I think is phenomenal. And, you know, and you definitely demonstrate, you know, you you are sort of an embodiment of what we're talking about, right? So here you are, you run this, you know, major law firm, but at the same time, you're really connected to what's going on in terms of innovation. You're connected um, in terms of what's going on with impact and really facilitating conversations and even work in that space. And so we want more people like you. We want to partner with more people like you because that's what it's going to take for us to move forward. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the the great thing about Zebra and everyone that's involved with Zebra is uh, by and large, people recognize the ability to have a plurality of interests. You don't, you know, and, and in the way, the way that business has responded positively to the, to the pandemic has shown that you can, you know, you can, you can be a, an impactful, empathetic, sustainable business. You can pursue profit. You can try and have social impact. And I think, um, if nothing else, we, the opportunity for, for businesses and business leaders to, to, to embrace the, the, the opportunity for that plurality of interests is, is a real positive outcome for 2020. I agree, 100%. So, thank you.